Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Lord, as we, uh, as we get ready now to close this quickening series, I am so grateful, I am so thankful that we are part of a church that can ask these kinds of questions. We're part of a church that, that can sit and experience the quickening of our hearts, the movement of you, God, as you uh, awaken us to different things that challenge us to experience you in new and fresh ways. I am so very blessed by the community that you have built, and I am so very blessed, Lord, to, to learn from them as you teach us and as you guide us. I pray today would be just another example of hearing from you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are quite new, uh, I should introduce myself. My name's Danny. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be sharing with you today as we close our quickening series. We are going to be using the the most odd symbol on the board. I had two different people come up to me today because they've been keeping track. One of them said, I'm excited to learn about the headless snake. So uh, I thought that that was, that was helpful. And someone else said, today's the day that we talk about the electric eel. So, these, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is a pretty good one. I thought that was a pretty good one. Uh, but this symbol actually is something that uh, the Bible calls a shofar. And we're going to learn about that today when we talk about the quickening of remembering. Remembering is a a really important thing. It's such an important thing that I put it at the very end of the message in order to not just uh, remember back over the series, all that God has quickened us, all that he's awakened us to, but also today we're going to look a little further back into our stories. And for some of you, if you're not very good at that or you're not used to that, uh, that will be uncomfortable. And so your, your challenge will be just to shut it down, to to maybe only apply it to a few things or to do what most people do when they read the Bible. That's just apply it to the people in the Bible. The Bible's not meant for those people anymore. The Bible's meant for you and for me. And so as we do this act of remembering, as we unpack this particular quickening, um, I'm gonna ask you to, to not allow yourself to just apply it to these folks. I'm gonna ask you to really try your hardest to apply it to you. Also, not to your neighbor or to someone you think should hear this message. That's also, I, I, I have come to realize recently just how often I've been used as a weapon, as a tool against other people. Like, this message was so good, I'm sending it to my mother-in-law. That's, that's, not, that's not the best, but, but maybe your mother-in-law needs it, so send away. Now, this idea of remembering, I'm going to first start with just kind of an, a basic Joshua uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 5, is a, probably one of the clearest examples of how God likes to use this tool. Uh, the people of Israel are moving into the promised land. They uh, have just uh, overcame their first hurdle in uh, Jericho, and they're excited about what God is doing, and now they're facing the Jordan River. They're celebrating that God has moved them finally home, and so they begin to cross the promised land. And this is what God says to Joshua and what Joshua says to these people. Chapter 4, verse 5 of Joshua. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the, or- the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? 
Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So the stone shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The Old Testament is full of these kinds of demonstrations, packed full of these kinds of practical kinds of statements about how remembering works. The Israelites were often instructed to set up all kinds of memorials, and many of the Jewish feasts were designed in order not just to celebrate, but to remember what God had done, to remember his deliverance. Deuteronomy 4.9, be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. This concept of remembering is everywhere. Psalm 103.2, the psalmist says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. There's something incredibly practical and, and deep and foundational within the Christian faith to remembering. Perhaps this is because keeping the faith often requires remembering what brought us to faith in the first place. So much of our Christian teaching today is about moving on from the past, uh, leaving the old man behind. And all those things are true. I preach them. They're very valuable things to recognize. But I don't think that we are supposed to completely forget that the old man was the one who cried out to God and said, I need something new. Those of us who are new men and new women, I wonder if we still cry out to God in the same way. If you think back and remember, I wonder if you are still pleading with God to accept you now that you've been uh, uh, on the straight and narrow for four or five years, and you're like, I think I'm doing pretty good at this. Have you ever considered that maybe the other man had a better posture before the Lord? What if the other woman had a better spiritual embrace upon God's uh, leg, if you will, as they looked up into his eyes and said, save me anyways? Or do you now say, or do I now say, save me because? Remembering keeps you in the spiritual posture you're supposed to be in. But we got to remember what it is we're supposed to be. When we praise God, we remember his goodness, and that makes it easier to keep trusting him now. Practically speaking, God wants us to be intentional about remembering the things that he has done for us, and that he is the one who's transforming our lives. Hebrews 12 one through three says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it uses this word, consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This means remember him. Remember what he did. Remember the wonderful gift of his salvation and follow the example of our Savior who endured through all trials for you and for me. We are, as people, not just to remember who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to remember who it is we're made in the image of. We must, I'll put it on the screen, fix our eyes and so remember Jesus in all things. It's powerful. It preaches. It's beautiful. I just don't know how practical it is. I mean, I've sat in a lot of marriage counseling sessions where one spouse says to the other spouse, well, they just won't forget the things I've done. They won't free me from my past. And I want to say, you got to forget that stuff. You got to move forward. The past is in the past. But then part of me is like, but you got to remember who you were in order to understand who you are. 
Because the gap between those two people, that's where Jesus worked his miracle. And also, if you don't know who you are right now, if you're not on this journey to sit inside discussion about your own self and your own heart, the, the, probably one of the worst things we can do as Christians is self-deceive. I'm kind of done preaching those sermons about how we come to church and we wear a mask and we're like, hello, hello, happy, 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 right? And we've done all those and we're like, you're supposed to come to church and what? Just vomit into people's lives, all your emotional stuff? I don't think that's why we're here either. The reality is the reason that we're so comfortable wearing masks with other people is because we most often wear masks with ourselves. We hide from ourselves. We forget ourselves. And we use this language. Now, should the past be used to damage other people, to damage a, a, a story like, like the one that you're building with someone that you love? No, of course not. But should the past be used to remind you of where you are and how God worked in your life and how he still wants to overcome things in your life? Yes. Yes. But you got to take that mask off of yourself. You got to sit with your own stuff, good and bad, beautiful and ugly, and you got to be authentic with it. And that's scary. And practically speaking, it's really, really hard. And I think it's because we approach remembering with really only one goal, and that's to, to, to recognize all the good things that have happened, all the overcoming that has happened, all the things that, that God has done in our lives. But I don't know if biblically that's sound. All of this leads us to our symbol for today, the shofar. Let me give you some uh, basic uh, facts about this, this beautiful instrument. The shofar is one of the oldest biblical musical instruments, and it's still in use today. What's interesting about this instrument is that for all time has been able to be blown by anyone and everyone for any purpose. The shofar is a beautiful symbol of social equality and unity. A rabbi could blow it, a person in need could blow it, a soldier could blow it, a woman could blow it, a child could blow it. It, it, it could be used, and, and, it, and when you, the sound it makes is called its cry for all kinds of things and all kinds of purposes. It's not a very specific instrument, and yet it has some very specific meanings. The shofar has been used as, as an alarm signal, a war trumpet, a call for help, an instrument for celebration, an instrument for lamentation as a time signal and is blown around the holy days. Calls are distinguished by a note of length, inflection, and articulation. By the way, every single shofar sounds different, just like every community and every listener is different. A shofar's cry is supposed to, according to tradition, remind us to be present and Remember, Rabbi Judith Halevi says the shofar cries give us a signal to our collective memory, national consciousness and identity, and create a link between heaven and earth. In the words of the great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, Judaism does not command us to believe. It commands us to remember. Recollection is a holy act. We sanctify the present by remembering the past. You start to, you start to open up when you, when you think about the shofar, you start to open up that, that you're tying to something bigger than you. You're tying to, to something more than you. But there's a deeper meaning that a lot of Jewish people understand that we miss today. And I think it's beautiful how it speaks about this instrument and also what we're supposed to embrace about remembering. And it has to do with when the Jewish people were first founded by God through the person of Abram, and then Abraham. 
It says Abram was unlike everybody else and God came to him and said, I'm going to do something really great in your life through you and your wife, Sarai, who was later Sarah. And he said, you're going to have a lot of of children, a lot of great grandchildren. You're you're going to have so many uh, children that they're going to be more than the stars in the sky. And Abraham said, well, that's awesome, but we're kind of old. And so it says that God said, I'll take care of that. So many years went by and no children came. And they got older and older and older until one day it says that God remembered Sarah. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? He remembered Sarah and he put a child in her womb by Abraham. And this child was born and they loved this child. Now I'm going to read between the lines just a little bit because I think that the Bible for us oftentimes just sort of presents this this uh, buffet of, of learning. And then according to where we are, we can dive in or take just a little or take a lot. But let me just say this. If you were barren and in your 90s <laughs> and God promised you were gonna have a child and you actually had a healthy childbirth and had a healthy child, a boy nonetheless, right? Someone to carry on the legacy of your name. Would you not maybe tiptoe into worshiping and building your life around that boy? Maybe would you kind of surround your whole world around the the centerpiece of that boy? And it doesn't say they did that, but it casually mentions that one day when the boy was older, God came to him and said, Abraham, take your child up onto a local mountain, a mountain where you normally sacrifice sheep and rams and goats to me and sacrifice your boy. And then it says in the Bible, literally, that Abraham the next morning got up and took Isaac. And I'm like, time out. Time out. This, there's a first stop. It makes sense if you think about Abraham following God. God is his person. He left his homeland. God is who he wants to be. He gets a boy and he gets distracted. He forgets God because he has this precious gift that becomes his whole life. And so God comes into him and wants to realign him, remind him that God is the one who gives life. God is the one who takes life. And he says, Abraham, go up on this hill and do this terrible thing. And so it's Abraham, I believe, wrestled deeply. I don't think he slept at all. I think he cried and wept. I think he couldn't believe it. I don't think he said it out loud, but I think internally he was thinking, God, what are you thinking? This makes no sense to me. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. You give me this, you take it away. Like, like why even do that? How cruel are you? But Abraham's obedient. And so he takes the child. Now, we know in the story that later on there would be another child given for you and for me who would also be sacrificed on a hill. And yet, the hand of God that you'll find out stayed Abraham's hand from sacrificing his child did not stay the hand of the world from sacrificing Jesus who was given as a gift for all of us here. And, and so you get this picture of the heartache of a father and you get this picture of the heartache of God. You get a father who almost went through it, but God rescued him. And you get a picture of a God who did go through it and then three days later rescued all of us. But I want you to imagine Abraham climbing up on that hill, not knowing any of those things that God would do, taking his son and tying him down and tears just rolling down his face and his son trying to figure out what's going on. And I want you to imagine that he believes in his heart of heart, this confusing God, this God that he's upset with and angry with and hurt by. I think it's fair to let all those emotions pour into this strike that Abraham's about to give to his son, believing that God can do all things. Maybe he'll bring him back from the dead. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All I know is I want to be where God is. And this is apparently how difficult it is to follow God. And so he raises a knife and all of a sudden God's voice stops him. He says, because of your faithfulness 
And I think because of this picture that you've given to all mankind, I will follow through and bless you as I've said. And by the way, look over into the bushes. There's a ram stuck in a thicket. I always wonder when that ram got stuck there. Like, was he just like walking around and then he was like, what? What's going on? Like, where'd this bush come from? Like, I don't, I don't know, but I always wonder, like, did he just get stuck right then? Or was he stuck for a few days? Or they're just my kind of, this is my broken theology. I just wonder, like, what about the ram? Like, that's... But the ram's there, and he takes the ram, and he sacrifices the ram, and I bet it was the most amazing experience to, to trade this life for this life. And what's so beautiful about it is that almost all of the shofars that the Jewish people are used from this time forward were made out of ram's horns. And here's what it means, this, this, this instrument made from this place. Because it ties into the messiness of Abraham and all the stuff that, that he brought up onto the top of that mountain. It means, quite simply, that the shofar is not just tied to remembering the things that God has done for you, but also to those times when you didn't understand what God was doing around you. See, when you go back and remember, guess what? You get to ask all those ugly questions. You get to go, thank you for my child. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for this beautiful part of my life. Thank you, God, for helping me plant this church. And then you get to go, oh, by the way, what's up with this? Why didn't you save this? Why'd I have to lose them? Why'd I have to pay that cost? Why are you so confusing? Why is it I'm frustrated with you? And, and dare I even say, as respectful as I can, I think sometimes you're a cruel God. Stop playing games with my life. See, you get to remember all those things. And you know why I believe this is so important? Because the more that I spend with people that are, have really good relational skills, the more time I spend with people that are good at investing in others, that really live out the heart and hands of Jesus, the more I realize the best thing about people who are good at relationships is they accept both sides of the people they're in relationship with. The best dads, the best moms can hold the muddy hands of their disobedient child and love them the same as if they were handing them a 4.0 report card. This is how God loves us. And the fear we have and the mask we raise is because we don't, we don't want to present to him or anybody else the things that most people won't accept. But guess what? Our God is big enough and bold enough and strong enough and scrappy enough and intimate enough that he already knows all the stuff you're hiding. He's in front and behind your mask the whole time. You're the only one, only one that doesn't see him seeing you. He wants to accept all the things that you know you feel, that he knows you feel. Because he wants to be this dad, this mom, this, this relationship you never had. He wants to be connected to you. And he can handle your cursing. He can handle your screaming. He can handle your crying. Because all those things are part of you when you honestly remember. I've yet to meet a person whose life has turned out exactly like they thought it would. How are you going to remember your past if you don't remember all the parts that disappoint you? And how are you going to serve a God completely if you're not willing to be honest about the places that he let you down or so you perceived at that time? This is what remembering is supposed to be about. It's about remembering how common it is to ask, does God the creator really hear my plea? Does the God of history intervene in my life when I ask him to? I don't know if there's a better example of this 
that the Jewish people themselves, the ones that still use the shofar, the ones that still understand the story of Abraham and the messiness of it, the ones that cry out to God and ask where he is. There's a tradition, uh, primarily in Israel, but really all around the world. It's called Yom HaShoah, and it's the Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's Israel's day of commemoration for the approximately 6 million Jews who perished in the Holocaust. It's held as a national memorial or day of remembering once a year at 10 a.m. countrywide. At 10 a.m. on this specific day, a two-minute siren sounds. The siren is asking a profound question. Does God remember us? What happens when God's face appears to be hidden? Or to restate the words of one rabbi to answer the overarching question of 20th century Jewish history, where was God in the Holocaust? One rabbi says, as the siren sounds simultaneously all over the country, people step out of their cars and stand by the side of the road to remember the six million who perished. It is as if a holy shofar has been sounded to pierce the hearts of all who are living. The sound cuts across religious barriers. No one dares to ignore the siren sound at this utmost moment of sanctity. I'd like to allow you to watch an abbreviated version of, I believe it was last year's Yom HaShoah. Judith Halevi goes on to say, we sound the shofar to invoke not only God's kingship and God's memory, but to open the possibilities of the future, even if we do not yet know the words that the future will bring. The bridge that floats between us is carried on this sound, and together we take a step forward into the unknown. This touches us because we are all people united by memory. We are all people that can look upon something and recognize its value. At the very core, this idea of remembering is really about us putting something back together as it really is. In this way, it's the opposite of dismembering something. As we remember God's promises and truth, I love this, we are putting back together the true character and nature of God, not just as I am experiencing it, but as it really is. As I do this, I am also remembering my beloved self as an image bearer of God in Christ. The siren summons us to be present. It summons us to pay attention to God's remembering or reattaching presence from the earliest of creation until this moment. And it is proclaiming together that we remember and in turn ask God to remember us with compassion and mercy. 
Now, the hard part of a talk like this, of course, is that as you look back into your past and you ask those hard and muddy questions, you have to wrestle with those emotions. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing the new series that we're going to start in a few weeks is going to encourage you to do. Be okay untethering. Be okay feeling some of that. Be okay recognizing that it's something you've not dealt with, even remembering that it's undealt with or remembering that it's, that it's something confusing. That's okay as long as you don't ignore that it exists. Be okay being where you are and allowing yourself to feel, even for just a few minutes, that God was always there with you. I'm going to close the entire quickening series with an illustration that, that can be a bit risky. I'm going to play over you a two-minute siren to symbolize a shofar, to give you a chance, like these people, to stop where you are and just remember. And so I want to ask everyone to stand in this room. I want to recognize that for most of us, standing allows us to engage on a different level. It allows us to process things in a different way, but not for all of us. And so for some of you, you may be someone who needs to sit or kneel or, uh, you know, whatever you need to do in order to allow yourself to be fully present and remember. I'm also going to invite out the worship team, uh, not to prepare to play, but to actually engage with you in this time of remembering by standing still and being present before God as we take this time to focus upon him. So I want to start by having us close our eyes. God, as we prepare for this moment of remembering, I pray that you would, you would take us where we need to go, that you would not allow us to slip away once more from all the times that you have helped us or the times that we've been confused by your presence. I'm gonna ask that, Lord, you meet us here. Even those who feel far away are not even sure if you exist as we remember who we are and who you are, we give you this time now.
Lord, as we stand in this place, there's just no way that a God who, a God who loves us as much as he loves us, isn't desiring to meet our questions right now, isn't desiring to remind us of his presence in even our most confusing times. God, we believe that you are a good father, but at times you seem distant, difficult. Lord, I know that you can handle the authenticity of my prayer, the authenticity of my worship as I ask why and where. know, God, that you can meet us in this space, that you are faithful, but God, I know that you want that connection with us, even when it's muddy and messy. And so I pray, Lord, right now in this room, that as we spend just a few more minutes asking those questions, proclaiming your name in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our failures, that, Lord, you would just receive our worship anyways. It's not perfect, it never has been, but I'll tell you what, God, it's not fake. If we can bring it from this perspective, Lord, it will not, will not go unnoticed. For you are a God who receives my offering as blemished as it is, and for that I'm grateful. And so, Lord, from this humble, authentic place, we bring you our song, we bring you our stories, we bring you the sacredness, even when it's confusing. We thank you for receiving it. We thank you for this journey that you've walked with us on till now and that you promised to never forsake us within. We praise you for your love. <laughs>